Support for this podcast comes from Planned Parenthood. It's hard to imagine a world where we leave future generations with fewer rights and freedoms. Since the Supreme Court's decision to overturn Roe v. Wade, politicians in nearly every state have introduced bills aimed at blocking people from getting the essential sexual and reproductive care they need, including abortion. Planned Parenthood believes everyone deserves access to care. And with supporters like you, they can reclaim our rights and protect and expand access to abortion care. Visit PlannedParenthood.org future to learn more and support their cause. Hi, we're Visible. We're the wireless company with nothing to hide. Seriously. Hidden fees? We don't have them. Annual contracts? Not our thing. Great wireless on just one line? Now that's more like it. Get unlimited 5G data powered by Verizon for just $25 a month. Taxes and fees included. That's right. $25 a month? Every month. Sorry, hidden fees. We're just not that into you. Sometimes the choice is just Visible. Switch today at Visible.com. Rate with service on the Visible plan. For additional terms and network management practices, see Visible.com. Just a heads up, on today's episode, we'll be discussing mental health and substance abuse. If you or someone you know needs help, you can call the Suicide and Crisis Lifeline at 988. Okay, on to the show. I'm John Glenn Hill. This is The Weeds. If it feels like things are hard and heavy and overall just really rough right now, you aren't alone. We are seeing record high levels of adults and children experiencing mental health distress. We see that through increased visits to psych emergency rooms. We're seeing increased rates of death related to drug abuse and alcohol abuse and suicide in a lot of different populations. That's Alyssa Kozlov. She's an assistant professor at the Rutgers School of Public Health and a clinical psychologist by training. But what I want to say is that we also probably were under-reporting mental health distress for a long time, especially in decades past. So I think what also is happening now is we're having kind of a renaissance in how people talk about mental health and mental health problems, and that it's in the mainstream. It's okay to admit that you're having mental health struggles. It's okay to seek help. And that just wasn't true for decades and decades. About one in four adults in the U.S. are currently living with a mental illness. And during the pandemic, a lot of that was compounded. The pandemic in some ways, really elevated the discussion of mental health in this country, also because it was exacerbating a lot of different mental health difficulties. So we saw rates of alcoholism and and deaths related to drug abuse skyrocket during the pandemic because there were fewer resources available to people. You know, when we shuttered the schools, when we shuttered doctor's offices, we also restricted people from having access to a lot of services, both community-based, hospital-based, et cetera, that they really needed. And so the pandemic also created a lot of loss, loss of jobs, loss of life, and the mental health repercussions of that are being seen still today. Fortunately, we are talking about mental health a lot more. But one major downside, it can still be really hard to find treatment. Not only do you have to find a therapist or provider you like, but you also have to find one that accepts your insurance. And those are just some of the hurdles. Let's say you do find a therapist you like, and they accept your insurance. Problem solved, right? Well, not really. 
Because even if you do have coverage, insurance companies have found a way to make accessing mental health care harder. A lot of what we need to focus on is increasing mental health parity in the country. So we had laws that were supposed to make mental health parity, meaning mental health reimbursement and access at the same level as physical health. But insurers have found workarounds, and what we're seeing is a lack of access to high-quality mental health care. A new proposal from the Biden administration hopes to change that. Late last month, President Joe Biden announced new rules that would impact the way insurance companies cover mental health care. And to get the details on that, I called up my colleague. My name is Dylan Scott, and I am a senior correspondent covering health care at Vox. So we have this new policy about mental health care coming from the Biden administration. But first, kind of the question that's on my mind, and I think a lot of people's minds, is why is it so hard to find a therapist in the first place? You got to find someone you like, which is difficult, and someone who accepts your insurance, which is also difficult. What's going on here? There's a couple of different things going on. First of all, there is a workforce shortage. We're projected next year to be about 30,000 mental health professionals short of what our need would be based on the scale of mental health issues that Americans are experiencing these days. So I think first and foremost, that's the problem. We don't have enough psychiatrists, therapists, folks who are in that line of work who can see patients. But I think in addition to that, as you touched on, is that health insurance coverage for mental health services has always lagged behind, you know, coverage for more conventional medical services. So, you know, yeah, it can be harder to find a provider who's in your network. We've got statistics that show people are much more likely to see like an out of network psychiatrist as opposed to like an out of network primary care doctor or medical specialist or something like that. If you can't find somebody in network and you have to just pay out of pocket, that creates disparities where like, sure, if you have the means, maybe you just cut out the insurance middleman and, and find uh, just find a psychiatrist and pay them directly yourself. But for a lot of people, that's really financially burdensome. And so those folks have a harder time accessing mental health care. Um, and then insurers, you know, just as they do sometimes for traditional health care as well, they put up roadblocks to people getting their mental health services coverage. You know, might you might need to go through a couple of different steps like prior authorization, that kind of thing, where like you kind of you maybe you need to get your primary care doctor to say like, yes, this person has an anxiety issue or is showing signs of depression and therefore they should go see a therapist. And, you know, as I think we've talked about before, and I think it is well documented across the U.S. healthcare system, like the more obstacles you put in place um, between a patient and the care that they need, the more attrition that there's going to be, you know, the more people who are going to just say like, forget it, this is too much of a hassle. And so they end up skipping out on care that they really need. So you mentioned the workforce shortage. Why are we seeing so many fewer clinicians? What's going on? Do we know why? I think there's a couple of things. You know, for one, partly because of how the health insurance coverage of mental health care often works, like it's not necessarily the most lucrative subspecialty of medicine to go into. You know, you stand to make a lot more money if you go into some kind of other medical care because mental health care providers are often paid lower reimbursement rates compared to other kinds of medical care. So I think that's one. Two is just like we haven't prioritized it in terms of our training pipeline. You know, we have this, this whole system for assigning people to 
medical residencies when they're done with medical school. And we just don't have enough slots for people who want to go into psychiatry or other kinds of mental health care. So what is the Biden administration's plan for this? How are they going to make it easier to find a therapist? What the Biden administration is proposing is basically two different things. One is they want health insurers to basically perform a more rigorous analysis of how their health insurance benefits really stack up under this idea of mental health parity, which means treating mental health care as equivalent to other kinds of medical care for health insurance purposes. So they, what they actually want insurers to go and do is like look at like, well, can your patients actually find a doctor to actually kind of look at the outcomes that we're talking about in terms of like the networks that they create for mental health care providers, the reimbursement rates that they pay mental health care providers, and not just sort of look at it on the front end, but on the back end in terms of patients' experience and their actual ability to access care. And what the Biden administration wants to do is kind of crack down a little bit harder and say, you can't just look at whether you're passing these rules on paper or meeting these standards on paper, but what it actually looks like for the patients in their attempts to access health care. So that's one. Two, it's to be seen how much they follow through on this, but the Biden administration is basically hinting that they're going to be a lot more aggressive about enforcing this law. That, like, you know, there are standards already written into federal statute for, like, health insurers being fined or having some kind of financial penalty if they're failing to meet these parity standards. But up until pretty recently, there really hadn't been a lot of enforcement actions taken. The short version of that is that the enforcement of this law is spread across a bunch of different agencies. So it's it's not like there's just one department that's in charge of this. It's spread across different federal agencies, across federal and state governments. And so there just hasn't been a real aggressive push to police whether health insurers are actually meeting the standards that they're supposed to. And so, you know, I think it's trying to kind of scare these health insurers straight into actually meeting the standards that have ostensibly been in place for a long time, but which we've been failing to actually see manifest in the real world. So insurers will need to collect this data about how their coverage works in actuality. But how will this be enforced? I mean, I know you mentioned it's kind of spread out, enforcement's been hard. Under this new policy, how would that happen? So the idea is that, like, the health insurers have to collect this information and, you know, they'll have to submit it to the federal government. You know, for most people, people who are covered by large employer-based health insurance plans, which is about half of Americans, those plans are regulated by the Department of Labor. And so, like, ostensibly, the Department of Labor will be able to take this information. And there's actually, like, a stipulation in the law, as it currently exists, that says, like, outcomes alone are not sufficient to say, like, this health insurer is failing to meet its mental health parity responsibilities. But it does say that like those can be kind of highly suggestive of whether or not there's a failure to comply. And so I think the idea is like, we're asking for this additional information from health insurers. They're going to report it to the federal government. And the Department of Labor is going to kind of make a commitment, like we're going to take a hard look at this new information that we're getting from health insurers. And even if on its own, it's not enough to say, well, this health insurer is not in compliance, it can kind of 
to point them in the right direction of like, all right, we're seeing some pretty big disparities here based on outcomes, whether it comes to provider networks or reimbursement rates or whatever. And so that probably warrants closer scrutiny on our part and maybe eventually enforcement action. Once we start to get that information starts to roll in, hopefully the federal government can be more intentional and more targeted about figuring out how it needs to go about trying to better enforce this law. Okay, I want you to walk us through how ensuring mental health works currently. And that's with both how it's supposed to work and how it actually works. So let's say, you know, I'm a person dealing with some anxiety and I'm like, you know what? I need help with this. I need to talk to somebody about this. If I have private insurance, how is it supposed to work and how does it actually work? I think in practice, you know, often this is the kind of thing that will come up like when you go for an annual wellness visit, something like that. You know, primary care physicians are increasingly being trained to, you know, screen for mental health problems and try to get a sense of whether their patients are dealing with something like that. And, you know, if they think it it rises to the level of like, maybe you should go to talk to a professional, then they might give you a referral. You know, if, if somebody wants to prescribe you medication, ostensibly, if a doctor says you need this medicine, then like that should be the end of the story, right? But like in practice, a health insurer might say like, well, maybe we could try a few less costly options first. And then there's the issue of provider networks. You have to actually be able to find somebody who accepts your insurance coverage or else you'll either A, have to pay for all of it out of pocket, or even if your health insurer is going to cover it as out-of-network care, that's still more costly to the patient than if it was a provider that was in their network. But we have research that shows mental health care is exponentially more likely, like three to five times more likely to be treated by an out-of-network provider as opposed to an in-network provider. And, you know, as we know, the, the more you ask patients to pay for this kind of care, the less likely they are to get it. So there are a few different points along the way where the theory and the practice don't really meet up. And this is the problem that these new proposals from the Biden administration is trying to get at. What if we run that same scenario, but say this time I have Medicaid? How does that change access? How does that work? By and large, for people who are on Medicaid, the process is largely going to look similar. You know, a lot of people are covered by uh, Medicaid managed care, which means like you actually have an insurance card from Aetna or Cigna or some private health insurer who just has taken on responsibility for administering your state's Medicaid plans. By and large, the process is going to look similar, but there are slightly different rules for Medicaid in terms of how mental health care needs to be covered. Like I said, for the expansion population that was newly covered as part of the Affordable Care Act, those folks, mental health services is an essential health benefit in the same way it is for people who buy individual private insurance through the ACA. And then, you know, it's been a process, but states have come along and most of them provide pretty good coverage for mental health care. But again, you know, one thing that I think always applies to Medicaid and, and is worth keeping in mind is that like Medicaid reimbursement rates are really low um, in comparison to like private health insurance. And so that problem of finding a provider who actually accepts your Medicaid coverage, I think is that much more, that's only more difficult for people who have Medicaid. Because, you know, I, I think there's a lot of providers, just as there are for physical health services, who will accept 
private insurance, they'll accept Medicare, but they just don't take Medicaid because they don't think it's worth the the money, basically. It's not worth the hassle of going through all the administrative paperwork that you have to do to see Medicaid patients when the reimbursement rates are so low. So I think for Medicaid folks, the rubber really kind of hits the road, not, not necessarily with like, does your insurer cover this or not, but whether you can find a provider who will accept your insurance. And as you can imagine, for people on Medicaid, like, they're more cost sensitive than others because inherently these are people who have lower incomes. So if it's hard to find a provider, if you can only find somebody who's out of network and you have to therefore pay more of your own money, you're that much less likely to actually get the mental health care that you need. We're going to take a quick break. And when we get back, we'll talk more with Dylan about how mental health care policy has changed through the years. Support for The Weeds comes from Not Another Politics podcast from the Harris School of Public Policy. With the constant news cycle, there's a lot of noise out there. Opinions are plastered all over social media, pundits are throwing out hot takes without any sort of context, and it's only getting worse as we dive farther into election season. We know that if you're listening to us at The Weeds, you're looking to cut through all this. And if you like this show, you might like Not Another Politics Podcast. Not Another Politics Podcast is produced by the University of Chicago Harris School of Public Policy. They want to take a research and data approach to analyzing hot-button issues and offer perspectives that go beyond the headlines. They cover a wide variety of topics in their episodes, but a few recent episodes that you can listen to include a deep dive into why women are underrepresented in U.S. politics or whether or not we can believe political surveys. You can listen and subscribe today at harris.uchicago.edu slash nap. That's N-A-P-P. Support for this podcast comes from Planned Parenthood. Your body is your own. That's why Planned Parenthood is committed to ensuring that everyone has the information and resources they need to make their own decisions about their bodies, including abortion care. Today, lawmakers who oppose abortion are challenging Planned Parenthood. Affordable, high-quality, basic health care for more than 2 million people is at stake. Planned Parenthood believes that health care is a basic human right. That's why they fight every day to push for common-sense policies that protect our right to control our own bodies. They also work tirelessly to oppose the onslaught of new policies aimed at interfering with personal decisions best left to patients and their doctors. They won't give up, and they won't back down. You can join Planned Parenthood in the fight to help make sure that the next generation can decide their own futures. The organization needs your support now more than ever. With supporters like you, they can reclaim our rights and protect and expand access to abortion care. Visit PlannedParenthood.org future to learn more and support their cause. And we're back. This is The Weeds. Right now, it can be difficult to find a therapist that's in your network. But why is that so hard? And how did we start to see mental health covered as healthcare to any extent? I put that question to Dylan. So back in the 90s is when uh, the first version of a mental health parity law was passed. As I understand it, it was kind of a, a consolation prize to some extent after the Clinton healthcare reform efforts failed. You had kind of a, a bipartisan group of senators come together. Originally, they were contemplating something much more comprehensive than what we ultimately got, at least at that time. But I think there was a feeling of like, all right, so we're not doing a big healthcare reform bill, but like, 
We were at the early stages of people kind of starting to see mental health care as not like totally distinct from physical health care, but as like something that was more inherently tied together with it. And in the 90s, Congress passed a law that basically said like, you can't have an annual limit for mental health care coverage that's, you know, way higher than the annual limits you have for physical health care coverage. So you can't like say like, we'll spend up to like a million dollars for your physical health care needs, but we'll only spend, you know, $250,000 for your mental health care needs. You know, it was ultimately uh, treated as kind of a symbolic gesture, like we are at least going to treat these two things as equivalent from this annual limits perspective. But it was pretty limited, and the effects of it were pretty limited. And then for the next decade, momentum started to build for taking another step. President George Bush said pretty early in his presidency that mental health care was a priority for him. And, you know, I think as happened with the wider population, like politicians started to have more direct personal experiences with mental health issues. You know, some of them dealt with like substance abuse problems of their own, or they had family members who had serious mental health needs. And at that time, employers, people who buy you know, the health insurance plans that cover most people, they started to think like when our employees, you know, have mental health care problems, that affects us too. You know, it makes them less productive and less able to, you know, be good employees. And so there, there would be a value for us in having that those kinds of services be better covered by the health insurance that we're paying for. And I think especially after, you know, as we, we headed toward the 2008 election and it became, you know, evident that Democrats were likely to win the White House and maintain control of Congress, and they were already talking about health care reform. I think there was even a feeling for, within like the health insurance industry itself that like maybe it's better to try to pass something now before Democrats have you know full control of Washington so that we maybe have a little bit more control over the final product. And so in 2008, actually as, I mean, this is a complicated backstory, but like as part of the financial bailout that passed in 2008, there was this mental health parity law that was attached to it. And basically that created more comprehensive standards, you know, the standards that we're working with today for what mental health parity really means. So instead of just having, you know, these annual limits need to be equivalent, it created these rules about like, you can't have a separate deductible for physical health care and mental health care. Like any payments you make for mental health services as a patient need to be applied to your overall deductible. You can't be charging people way higher co-pays when they go see their therapist versus when they go see their primary care doctor. And it also, you know, you can't put these limits on, you know, the number of visits that people can make to a therapist every year that are lower than the the limits on going to see other kinds of medical doctors. And then they, it also introduced uh, these standards that like, you know, you can't have this burdensome prior authorization process for mental health care that doesn't apply to physical health care. So it, it the 2008 law really created kind of mental health parity as we think about it today. And it got it added on to a little bit additionally during the Affordable Care Act debate. And that law applied these same rules, not just to those large health insurance plans, but also the individual insurance plans that were being created as part of the ACA and the small group plans that were being sold on the law's marketplaces as well. So we have these two major pieces of legislation. There's the Mental Health Parity Act, which, you know, came about in the 90s. And then there's the Mental Health Parity and Addiction Equity Act, which came about in 2008. And 
What are the gaps that exist in those pieces of legislation? Because, you know, technically thinking about it, it should not be that hard to get mental health or, you know, substance abuse help via insurance, but it still is. I think the biggest gap is that there is not technically any kind of requirement for health insurers to cover behavioral health care in the first place. Technically, there's no federal requirement for Medicaid programs to cover any particular behavioral health service. And like I said, for those large group plans, there's likewise not any kind of requirement. Um, so I think that's the that's the first gap. Secondly, like there's a sense that like Insurers are pretty good about meeting the most basic standards that are set up here on papers. But when it comes to the kind of squishier stuff, like, you know, these prior authorization rules or creating an adequate provider network, like it tends to be a little more eye of the beholder. And because enforcement has been so lax, like that tends to be where we see a little bit less um, compliance on the part of health insurers. It's just tough. And it takes, you know, a lot of documentation and it takes kind of a commitment from uh, federal and state regulators to really interrogate whether health insurers are meeting these standards. I think we've existed in this place where, you know, there's ambivalence on the part of payers. I think there's some ambivalence on the part of providers. Like a lot of psychiatrists and therapists have just gotten used to working outside of the insurance infrastructure and, you know, having patients pay for themselves and stuff like that. And then, you know, patients are just kind of left on their own to try to navigate this. And because enforcement has is so diffuse, where like, you know, the labor department's responsible for one set of insurance plans and, you know, the Medicare and Medicaid are responsible for their insurance plans and states are responsible for like individual market insurance plans. It's really been in the enforcement and in actually kind of making sure that insurers live up to their responsibilities under the law. I think that's been the biggest gap. So thinking, you know, beyond the 2008 election and, you know, the democratic control you mentioned earlier, what other political catalysts got this legislation moving? Were there any other or was it mainly that? I think it was part of this general recognition that like mental health care is as integral to a person's well-being as other kinds of physical health care. Certainly since the law passed in 2008 and was expanded a bit as part of the ACA in 2010, there's only been, you know, wider social recognition of kind of the burdens of mental health care, the difficulties in accessing it. And so that's why, you know, even though we have struggled to implement it, it's still always been on the mind of policymakers. You know, I've been covering healthcare for 12 years and people have been talking about mental health parity more or less nonstop over that period of time. The acuity of the mental health crisis has only gotten worse, right? Like we've all seen the statistics about the number of young people and the just overall number of Americans who are dealing with mental health problems. There was a stunning poll from CNN that found like 90% of Americans believe that uh, the country is in a mental health crisis, which, you know, Mm. at a time when we can't seem to agree on anything or get 90% consensus on anything, um, I think that's a pretty remarkable finding. And then, you know, the pandemic, you know, a lot of people 
people dealt with acute mental health struggles during the pandemic. It continued to make it more difficult for people to access the mental health care that they need when, you know, it was you couldn't go see a provider in person, that kind of thing. And I know that this is a personal issue to President Biden. He has dealt with these kinds of issues in his family and talked about this quite publicly and transparently. So I think, you know, you stir all of that together. And that is why we, you know, in spite of the ways that we are still falling short, there is still kind of a continued commitment at the government level to trying to achieve better parity for mental health care. We'll be right back. Stay close. Hi, we're Visible. We're the wireless company with nothing to hide. Seriously. Hidden fees? We don't have them. Annual contracts? Not our thing. Great wireless on just one line? Now that's more like it. Get unlimited 5G data powered by Verizon for just $25 a month. Taxes and fees included. That's right. $25 a month? Every month. Sorry, hidden fees. We're just not that into you. Sometimes the choice is just Visible. Switch today at Visible.com. Rate with service on the Visible plan. For additional terms and network management practices, see Visible.com. Support for this show comes from Sylvan Learning. As a parent, you want your child to have every opportunity. But giving them the tools they need to tackle every challenge, that takes a team. Now more than ever, educational support tailored exactly to what your child needs can make all the difference. That's why parents have trusted Sylvan Learning for 45 years as the ultimate teammate in their child's educational journey instilling in them a love for learning and a passion for reaching the next level. And Sylvan's Insight Assessment can identify gaps in learning and areas that could be of concern for your child. It's a 360-degree view into your child's learning that you can't find anywhere else and helps ensure that your child didn't miss something in school that might put them at a disadvantage in the future. And right now, it's the best price of the year at $29. Go to sylvan29.com to learn more and get your child's assessment for only $29. That's S-Y-L-V-A-N-29.com. Okay, so let's get back into this new rule from the Biden administration. You know, as you said, this is coming at a time of general increased awareness of mental health care, including mental health care for children. Um, The Biden administration has even delegated hundreds of millions of dollars towards services for school-aged kids, you know, training pediatric providers, establishing the 988 hotline. What does this reflect about the administration's priorities? I think they recognize that, like, this is an area that needs a lot of investment, needs more resources, and, you know, we need to do a better job of enforcing the laws that already exist. The Surgeon General issued a report earlier this year on the loneliness crisis among America's youth. And, you know, we've we've seen, you know, even in the, during the Trump years, there was increased investment in substance abuse disorder treatment and, and stuff like that. So I think that the Biden administration wants to, it's a theme across a lot of their activities when it comes to healthcare. You know, they're trying to build on the foundation that's already there. And, you know, if you've taken that initial step of saying, like, this is a crisis, we have this enormous mental health problem, then it's 
incumbent on you to try to figure out some policies uh, that might be able to address it. So yes, they're they're putting money into uh, schools and community health centers to better provide mental health care. They've set up the 988 phone line for people who are in crisis. And this is kind of an, another piece to that agenda. Um, you know, the mental health parity law, you know, something Biden voted for when he was a senator. The expansion of it as part of the ACA was obviously, you know, part of uh, the landmark legislative achievement when he was vice president. Moving bills through Congress is still hard, especially here since Republicans took over the House in the election last year. You know, I think the Biden administration has started to put a lot more energy into, you know, what can we do ourselves without Congress that might be easier to get out the door, so to speak, and potentially make a difference. And so, you know, rules and regulations on mental health parity, that's one of the things they can do without relying on Congress to try to improve access. The skeptic in me is also finds the timing of this very interesting. I mean, we're getting ready to go into an election cycle, which, uh, wow, we need to really buckle up for 2024. And, you know, uh, one of Biden's policy wins, which was student loan forgiveness, that's now gone by the wayside. Part of me wonders if there are, you know, political motivations. I mean, it's 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 hard to come out against mental health coverage. It's kind of something that a lot of people agree on, you know? Yeah. No, I mean, I don't think that's unreasonable. They're trying to rack up wins, for sure. And like in the first two years of his presidency, a lot of those wins were coming out of Congress. They had the American Rescue Plan. They had the Inflation Reduction Act. And, you know, I know they'll continue to trumpet those things. But like, you know, the American voter is very like, what have you done for me lately? Mm, um, and The so Janet it, Jackson of it all. <laughs> ultimately, what the Biden administration here is, is doing here is cracking down on health insurers. And that's certainly something that tends to play well politically. That's not a bad message to have when you're entering a campaign season. I, I think there's like, you know, you can kind of split the difference a little bit. Like I do think for the first couple of years, the administration's energy was just totally tied up in Congress. They knew that they probably just had a two-year window to pass any kind of major bills. And so they just focused pretty exclusively on that. And they did get quite a lot done. And it just kind of became a natural pivot after the midterms last year when Republicans won the House to then focus more on your administrative and regulatory power and doing whatever you can in that space to kind of keep the momentum going from a political perspective. We We've scored all these wins with the IRA and the American Rescue Plan. Come next year when they're going to the ballot box, who knows how much that's really going to be on their minds. But if they've continued to hear this drumbeat of regulatory actions and, and other administrative steps that the administration is taking on issues that, that people clearly care about a lot and recognize as a you know potentially really valuable place for policymaking, like that makes some sense. Right now, we're still in the public comment period. You know, these rules have, haven't actually technically been finalized yet. Um, and so I think we'll just have to see, like, you know, what information the Biden administration gets and how they act upon it. And, you know, whether, you know, how, how aggressive um, those actions are down the road, I think will ultimately determine how impactful these news rules are. Whenever I think of healthcare policy and policy in general, but in particular, Healthcare policy, I think of loopholes. Are insurance companies just going to find a new workaround? Are 
are loopholes in legislation just going to exist forever and ever, no matter what we do? <laughs> I mean, yeah, I think, especially, you know, when it comes to like paying out claims and stuff like that, like that's where their bottom line gets determined. And so, yeah, insurers have every incentive to try to minimize the claims that they pay out because they get to keep more money if they do. There's no perfect system. There's no kind of ironclad law, at least it's certainly not one on the books right now, that is going to lead to kind of this perfect implementation of mental health parity. But, you know, we I think the goal is to kind of slowly be building towards a more perfect world. And, you know, I think what's become clear is that like it is going to take some more aggressive enforcement to get insurers to comply with these rules. According to a, a Millman uh, analysis that looked at like out-of-network utilization and, and reimbursement rates and stuff like that, like they looked from 2013 to 2017 and by and large, like these disparities were getting worse. Like, you know, the disparities between out-of-network visits for mental health versus physical health care or for reimbursements for uh, mental health versus physical health care, all those things were getting worse. And so I think it is clear at this point that like, if anything, despite this law being on the books, we've kind of been trending in the wrong direction. And so we're trying to to correct that a bit with these new rules. It's never going to be perfect because it's just like too big of a space, too many different parties involved. All it takes is like one state to be pretty lax about enforcing mental health parity for individual insurance plans um, in their state. You know, there's a gap. You know, if the Department of Labor can't file an enforcement action against every single insurer, um, you know, they maybe have to pick a, a couple of particularly bad actors. Like that means that disparities might persist for some other uh, places that aren't doing perfectly, but, you know, are doing better than the, than the worst offenders. You can't close every loophole, but hopefully that can at least get us moving in the right direction and we can at least, you know, shrink the number of people, even if we can't eliminate it down to zero, shrink the number of people who have trouble accessing the mental health care they need. Why do you think we're seeing this shift around how we talk about mental health and substance abuse now? I mean, you know, the way we talk about drug addiction and the opioid epidemic has changed. We, we're having these very real conversations about this epidemic of loneliness that Americans are facing. Like, why have we seen this shift in the way we talk about things? I think a big part of it has been like people's personal experiences with this stuff, either they themselves or somebody that they know. You know, I think the opioid crisis is a good example. There's those statistics out there about, you know, a lot of people, most people, you know, know somebody who has had an opioid addiction problem or is who has died from an overdose. Like, as unfortunately as sort of the scale of that problem has gotten worse, that means that more and more people have been exposed to it in some kind of personal way. I think the same idea applies to suicides, you know, as we've seen those numbers go up. I think that the other thing happening is that like, you know, medicine has advanced sort of our scientific understanding of these issues has advanced. And I think, you know, I, for a long time, being overweight was treated as sort of a personal failing or some kind of character flaw or something like that. And I think mental health care for a long time dealt with the same stigma of like people, you know, especially if you go back 50, 100 years, people looked at these kinds of problems and said like, well, there's something wrong with you, like mm. as a person, you know, something wrong with your character, your vibes are out of order, whatever. And it took a long time for sort of medical science to establish like, no, there are like these 
physiological causes to these kinds of disorders or like, you know, there's a, an explanation for why somebody is behaving in this way that is outside of their control and that needs to be treated as a, a health problem in the same way that we treat other kinds of health problems. So I think you put those two things together, sort of this more evolved uh, scientific understanding of mental health conditions and people's just personal experience with them and exposure to them as some of these crises have gotten worse. I think that has kind of pushed us in the direction of, yeah, looking at mental health with a little bit different light, trying to better integrate it with all the other kinds of health care that people need. I was talking to Joanne Volk this morning. She's at Georgetown University. And she kind of put it to me like this. Like before the ACA, when you could do like medical underwriting and you could just deny somebody coverage because they had, you know, a certain health condition. She said she talked to people who used to do that kind of underwriting. And they said like what they tried to do was like actually identify people who had a mental health problem, but not so they could like cover the health care that they need, but just so that they could just exclude them from their coverage. That so they could mm. be like, sorry, like you have a mental health condition, we're not going to offer you health insurance because they used to be allowed to do that before the ACA passed. And so like that's kind of how the whole the whole insurance industry was kind of wired in that way. And I think that, you know, was born out of these sort of social and cultural norms that existed for a long time. And now we've kind of totally flipped the script on them. We're saying you need to integrate their mental health care into your health insurance benefits and make sure that they are, you know, equivalent or have parity with the other kinds of insurance benefits that you offer. And so I think that's, you know, that's another example of how the the whole paradigm has really shifted in the last 10 to 15 years. I think you you tie all those threads together and we are kind of in a new era where people recognize that like, you know, mental health problems are a health problem just like any other that need treatment just like any other often a combination of talking to people, but also medication. And it's just been a process to get society there as a whole. But as I said before, you know, there's surveys that indicate like the vast majority of Americans recognize that we are in some kind of a mental health crisis. And I do think if you were to take a positive view of things, like just having that kind of consensus is a big step. The first step to, to solving any problem is identifying it and properly recognizing it, right? And so I think we're kind of getting to that place. And now it's about, you know, figuring out these strategies, including things like the Biden administration's regulations that can hopefully chip away at this to make sure that people can access mental health care. Dylan Scott, thank you so much for joining us on The Weeds. Thank you for having me. That's all for us today. Thank you to Alyssa Kozlov and Dylan Scott for joining me. Our producer is Sophie Lalonde. Krishna Ayala engineered this episode. Serena Solon fact-checked it. Our editorial director is A.M. Hall. And I'm your host, John Quillen Hill. The Weeds is part of the Vox Media Podcast Network. Hi, we're Visible. We're the wireless company with nothing to hide. Seriously. Hidden fees? We don't have them. Annual contracts? Not our thing. Great wireless on just one line? Now that's more like it. Get unlimited 5G data powered by Verizon for just $25 a month. Taxes and fees included. That's right. $25 a month? Every month. Sorry, hidden fees. We're just not that into you. Sometimes the choice is just Visible. Switch today at Visible.com. Rate with service on the Visible plan. For additional terms and network management practices, see Visible.com.